Hey, welcome back to Rael Talk, where I explore ideas about movement, mindfulness, and meaningful connection. I am Britta Rael, here to host the show today, Living the Curious Life, with my dear friend, Wes Sam Bruce. Wes is a multi-practice artist, an educator, a poet, a designer. He is by far one of the most inspiring and exquisitely wonderful humans I know on this planet. For the last decade, he has worked professionally creating large-scale, site-specific installations, exhibits, and projects that are deeply engaging, exploratory, wildly imaginative and expansive, and I think supremely profound for all humans of all ages. This episode is a meaningful conversation that's best digested wholly and slowly, like a good meal. But if you are looking for some of the gems, we dig into the magic behind Wes's fully embodied interactive installations. We talk about why everything can be artwork and how everyone can be an artist. We really get into the the paradox and the beauty of transformation, how to be more curious, connection and reflection in these times of great disconnect, and how to more deeply experience and fall in love with your undamageable self. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that it takes you to new places of illumination and curiosity within yourself and with your friends and your family. Without any further ado. What space are you in right now? Are you, you're in your studio space? Yeah, I'm in my studio space. You want a little, you want a tour? I would love a tour. Because your studio is in which part of, you live in Brooklyn? Yeah, I live in Brooklyn. So I'll walk you from the front door. Yeah, so you you enter into it and there's this long look towards the end with the big full wall of windows at the opposite end and the window frames are all this really nice kind of mossy green. Got this big long table, and I currently am working on a, a project that sort of feels like all my all my creative brain space is like has been practicing for this. See, these are like all my project notebooks from the last like five or six years. Yeah. And so I'm like just digging into all this stuff, and you know when you have an idea, there's like a thousand things you'll lay out in your mind or in a notebook and you might use like 10 of them. So I'm kind of going and seeing all the things that are still there. Yeah. Indexing. Um, mm -hmm. Um, Little kitcheny area, maps and sticks and globes. And then this is kind of like the, the little living room meditation collections area, greenhouse I built (laughs) for for COVID purposes. <laughs> Which you're planting, all of, planting all your seeds. Mm-hmm, yeah. This, I mean, it's just so fun to me because all of these things like weren't here at the start of, of quarantine. So like this little black bean forest has all popped up. Like they were all sprouted. Like I've got my little sprouting yeah. section over here, all my little jars of mung beans and rye berries and black beans and chia. And then the little desk area and, you know, there's just kind of all this stuff looks very static, but things are always 
always moving and changing depending on what the project is or the day or I just um, at the start of last week redid this whole area I just mm -hmm. you know everybody's kind of having like these different waves and shifts in what their quarantine looks like and I had some shifts happen and took everything off the walls over here and took everything away and dusted it and flipped it around so I could have like um, kind of a new area over here feels so serendipitous to get to have this conversation with you on Easter Sunday. Like I was during just going to say, I was just going to say freaking, like the wow. global pandemic, like all of this, like that transformation happens through the participation of pain and confusion and the unknown and suffering. And it doesn't happen by avoiding it. You know, that's like Richard Rohr words with, yeah. you know, my paraphrase on it, but and, you know, then he got those words from all these other people and experiences, but it's like, you know, that, that birth, death, rebirth, participation with the turning of, of soil, participation with showing up to your own life and the circumstances as they are expected and in most cases are unexpected. It felt like, okay, if I'm going to be like quarantined for the next month and a half or two, like my healthiest place the place that brings me the most life is in my studio it's where all my this happens like my I'm <laughs> I know it's audio but I'm talking with my hands just doing like sprinkling magic a butterfly just flew by the window outside <laughs> <So> cool. <laughs> one of the biggest things I want to discuss and even just like receive from you because I receive so much wisdom from your sharings is is about magic you know i want to talk about exactly what you're doing with your hands because i do that all mm -hmm. the time when i teach yeah. when i think when i write <laughs> when i play like it's this untangible sparkly quality uh, yes and, oh my gosh and I there's something <laughs> yeah there's something to be said for you know we're having this conversation in springtime on easter mm -hmm. on this day of like <laughs> immense magic and I'd love to know, just, um, we can even start here. Like, how do you, how do you define this, this oh thing my that gosh. we do with our hands, this magic? Yeah. How do you experience it? Um, yeah, gosh, Britta. <laughs> it's let's like, go deep. Uh, it just like, it makes me so excited to even like chew on that question with you, this good friend, you know, like this this fun reconnection for us and remembering like the context where we met, like, you know, all the way back in whatever it was, 2000, I mean, connecting like 2009 or 10 in San Diego at yeah. the, like, the, the threads of that. So it, I, I define it differently kind of in every chapter. And then like within those chapters differently on every day. And to me, like to, to kind of take, your hands in this motion and sort of wave your fingers like you're dropping seeds or dust or whatever would be coming out of your hands in that motion. Like I think of magic like today, I'll just try and describe it today in context as like this ephemeral invisible thing that manifests that becomes embodied in anything and everything and our intention and attention to that combination of like spirit and matter in the world around us in our own selves as almost like like 
I'm trying to decide like what metaphors to use with this, not to use too many. <laughs> it's it's like the participation with with this saturated world around us that has the potential to be transformed, to offer transformation to whoever's willing to look at it, you know, in the context of of human beings, but also thinking of everything else as having this this sentience, its own way of knowing, its own way of participating with this living world and really widening what that definition is of knowing or thinking or participating or, or being. And, you know, in my little space, as I'm turning around in here and looking at all these little things, like these are these, these magical nouns being that they have their own way of participating with me and I with them. And there are things to be learned, there's connection. And I, you know, I think of like the way that we look at archetypes and like these stories that we keep telling ourselves and the stories we keep living out for ourselves as a species over millennium. And, you know, today being Easter Sunday in a global pandemic, and I have like sort of grown into other, other spiritual spaces. Like I, I feel like my meaning making machine like has come from Christianity, but I have like a lot more in my, in my world and realm than I did back when that definition was exclusive. And so looking at that archetype of who Jesus was or is and what God could be in God's potential many forms, like that archetype or pattern or shape of the universe is there's a thing that thing is alive, that thing dies, that thing is then made into something new. Repeat, 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 always overlapping, always changing, always growing, things overlapping, things connecting, you know, moss comes out of the ground, is on a stone, it dries, it cracks, it falls off the rock and then turns into a tree. And then that tree is eaten by an elephant and an elephant, you know, like it just like that connection to everything. And I feel like magic is to be aware of all of those connections, to participate with them, to pay attention to them. And I can't remember who gave this definition of worship. I heard this definition of worship like 10 years ago. I probably haven't thought of it in 10 years, but to worship something in, in like a global spiritual context, not even speaking from one single faith tradition, like to worship is to see something that you are amazed by and then to respond to it. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm constantly trying to be amazed from like the small to the grand and then to respond to that. And the way that I respond to that is sometimes to plant a seed, sometimes to sweep off the stage, sometimes to move this rock from here to there. Sometimes it's just to walk laps around this table. Sometimes it's making artwork in like the, in the format that you would expect, you know, an artist, quote unquote artist to make something. But most of the time it's me just trying to like, like notice, notice this, be in it, like be in your body with this, like chew on this thing, like have this conversation in a way that offers life to you offers life to the other person to for both of us to become more fully ourselves to become more whole to become more fully awake mm. magic 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 <laughs> i could quit this whole recording i could just like 
say thank you. Like that's it. <laughs> and I want to, I want to point out like the same way that you say, you know, magic is taking something that has its own essence that has its own mm -hmm. experience and, and expression and making it a part of yourself. It's the same as when you mm. eat, you know, like, I think this yes. is the coolest aspect of being human. And I, I spoke mm. about this yesterday with someone. When you take a piece of food, like a piece of fruit, mm -hmm. which is its own expression of, wow, like crazy divinity itself, just yeah. creation itself. Yeah. And you take it internally. Something happens, <laughs> magic happens, and we turn yeah. that fruit into the human body, into this thing that actually has sentience. And at, the end, and at the end of the day, it just goes back into the dirt. So yeah. it's, it's this whole hysterical and profound, like you said, metaphor mm -hmm. of interacting with life. Yeah. That's yeah. That's it. That's mm -hmm. Yeah. And even the words that you used in the last two sentences of the way that you described that to say, metaphor and literal like it is both it is the freaking unification of all things like it is both <laughs> happening at the same time like that is a miracle it's unthinkable it's also just the plain objective truth it is universal miracle that happens every single day in everybody that is consuming food and at the same time it's just like it's just dust and water and carbon and sunlight spun into all these forms and light and dark. It's seen, it is unseen, it's processed, it's in, it's out. And it's like, you know, to start with what you said, like the literal and the metaphorical, it's, you know, it's paradox. Like, again, there's all these archetypes and patterns and shapes that mm -hmm. keep repeating themselves throughout everything unavoidably consciously and subconsciously. And like, food like the start of a day seasons like all of these things that are just spinning around us inside us constantly like fish in water so much so that we don't even notice it the majority of the time and you know to try and come awake is just to try and intentionally and unintentionally be participating with all of that <laughs> and responding to it and yeah. being and just being with it that aspect, I want to put a little context to our relationship and our, our knowing one another. Yeah. I think this has a lot of, of weight in terms of the metaphor and the, and the literal and like actually what you do, what I yeah. see that you do as a human and as an artist. Um, so brief context is like we really met through the lens or through the, the framework of going to Point Loma Nazarene, right? It's this Wesleyan mm -hmm. Christian school and and therefore inherently i can assume but mm -hmm. we share that religious framework that language that culture that probably predicated how we experience god and spirituality mm -hmm. to, a, to a certain extent like you mentioned yeah um, definitely and and i certainly enjoyed that framework it supported me immensely um throughout growing up and, and through college and even even to now like that framework mm -hmm. still provides so much great soil and fodder Mm -hmm. um, and I always felt that, you know, inherently my experience of God or spirit, nature, magic was mm -hmm. so much bigger than what that framework often allowed me to express or to yeah. explore. 
And so when I, there was a distinct moment that I remember um, when I came to, I think it was your, your exhibit at the Lux Institute mm -hmm. in Encinitas, right? It was like a outdoor. Yeah, that was the outdoor one. Yeah. Fort, it was like kind of a fort, but more like. I called it a haunted, a haunted horse barn slash church. Yeah. It was like <laughs> this outdoor space that was a little bit ethereal, creepy, but like, like there was potency, there was magic in there. Um, mm -hmm. There was some element of like walking into this space that had, you know, pictures and photographs and notes and prayers yeah. or poems on them. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, just because of the ether in that space, I realized uh, that you and I were tapped into that same force, mm. that, that unlimited yeah. source or essence, or <laughs> somehow bigger and more mysterious and wonderful than yeah. even my understanding could contain. And that yep. was maybe not the first time ever, but especially in that context of people that we were spending time with, I was like, oh, he he gets mm. it and he's mm. able to express it. You yeah. Know, we were walking the same path. We were feeling the same things. And, and you have continued to reach into and express from that intimate place that I sometimes have a hard time reaching through traditional mm. avenues, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what prayer feels like, you know, yeah. that's that sense of yeah. worship, that sense of just like, I'm bringing everything that I have and all that I am to this, whatever this is. And it's just connecting yeah. to nature, connecting through meditation. I all love that. that. And I, yeah. I just see that as what you bring to the world through your art, because you allow people to experience that merger of paradox, which mm -hmm. is hysterical. It causes me to giggle with delight. Mm -hmm. It's like <laughs> so profound that it brings me to tears, you know, like yeah. you, you yeah. cross that all the time with your art. You said, uh, <laughs> go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, you were, you were mentioning, you know, we're like, we're both tuned into the same thing. And I just had a conversation with Andrew Gum, uh, our mutual friend and wonderful human, Andrew Gum. And I read him something and he's just like, you just are like listening to like this specific radio station that I want to listen to all the time. And we're, then we were joking. It's like, like roomy, like roomy radio 24 seven coming at like, <laughs> and you know, like I, I have resonated with that with you as well. I'm like, Oh, Britta, like what, like, what are you listening to? And, and then please relay that message to me. And, mm. you know, like I, I listened to your conversation with Mark Carter as I was sitting here in the dark last night as well. And, with him speaking about sound and I've used this, this metaphor of like, we all have like this big bell somewhere in our, in our chests, in ourselves, that is, is a metaphor. And literally at a cellular level, there is sound that happens with our body. And when we go out into the world, we are just constantly like ringing this bell that we have within us and it resonates out in certain people, certain places, things, objects, plants, spaces weather like will resonate back at this similar frequency and you like you tune into that and he'd said you know i sometimes i ring the gong and people will tell me the gong didn't work for me today and you know you go out and you you have a conversation with someone and it might be the type of thing where like they're just ringing that gong in your ear and you're like i don't i'm not at that same wavelength but 
there are certain folks where you're like, oh my gosh, like maybe we both have like this, this specific instrument, this specific wavelength, this sound that just resonates back and forth. And I think like that's oftentimes the folks or the people, places or things that you collaborate with that you're resonating at that frequency with. And of course, like if you keep zooming out, like all of those sounds fit into this larger, more wider whole sound. And we all have our own wavelength that fits somewhere and threaded everything else in there. But, you know, looking at it from like the, the zoomed in, like you just have that radio station playing roomy or whatever you got. And I've always felt that with you. I've liked the way that you have taken what you described as like kind of our, our shared background in, you know, religiosity, like where we both came from. We have very different stories in some ways, but really similar, you know, like Western Protestant ish show up at a small liberal, liberal arts college. Like that's a pretty similar story, but I've seen you go out and explore all these other things and, and participate with all these other really beautiful expressions of a God of many names of a God of many religions of a God of many different physical and ephemeral things. And I'm like, Oh, Britta, thank you for getting out there and exploring that so I can learn about it. And thank you for getting out there and, and doing that shape with your body because it expresses what you're finding in these, like all the conversations. It's so cool. It's so cool. It is cool. Mm. (laughs) Serendipity. You know, I always say, um, I think I mentioned this, before I think it was from uh, Julia Cameron in the artist way. Mm -hmm. She has a really beautiful way that she describes her experience of God, which is G O D, which is good orderly direction, Mm -hmm. which is like when things are resonating together and I'm making a gesture of my hand, like in a spiral. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh, yep. We're just like getting, folded in like batter you know it's like yep yep that's like indicative that just yeah things Mm -hmm. are things are in alignment and even if things don't feel in alignment there's like just that indication that like yeah there's yeah yeah there's yes and there's no there's always light and there's dark there's always there's always a way through you know yeah 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 to put it how the late great mary oliver said it like Mm. calls out to you again and again your place among the family of things and it's like our, our place among the family of things. And you can always change and adapt and grow into a new place in that family of things. But like, there is always a place for you, regardless of what your shape or form is. And you are, you are asked to change and to not stay the same because it, it's impossible to stay the same and to again, go into that transformation and always be responding to it. I want to talk to you a little bit about your, your art, like in mm-hmm. the, in the, in the traditional sense, air quotes art, because yeah. <laughs> it's, because it's so non-traditional, like you are, there's not any one particular medium that you limit yourself to. There's, there's not maybe one particular style, even though I see a, a thread throughout much mm-hmm. of what you create and share at least, but you say, and I have a quote like from you, right? You say mm-hmm. that your work strives to be meditative and playful Mm -hmm. chaotic yet centering and outward and inward which is totally what we've been talking about but there's also this wisdom that somehow you've been able to tap into that really does stretch across 
cultures and communities and languages and time and religious and social boundaries like it's a completely universal wisdom mm. that you have created for yourself and also like pulled from so many other places and yeah. it, your art is experiential like it's it's beautiful your paintings are beautiful your fonts are beautiful the way that you weave words and sound and landscape together i would love to just hear a little bit from you like how do you define what it is that yeah. you do and share yeah for people well, that don't know because there's a lot yeah. of people that i'm you know secretly and not so secretly trying to just really convert into west bruce fans yeah, so. <laughs> yeah no i appreciate the question i would love yeah. to paint that picture and it's always fun for me to try and describe what it is because it's it is many things like i describe myself as a as a multi-practice artist because I show up with ideas and then art making then can take a multitude or, you know, a multiplicity of different forms and the kind of like my main format or my main vessel for all these different reworked truths and wisdoms and ideas and questions um, is large, large scale immersive installations and just to kind of objectively say what that is or to like conjure the image like picture like a really unusual strange piece of architecture either in a in a gallery space um, or I've started to build them outside more but this large piece of architecture and this they are just completely covered in content so there's what you just call like a mural work everywhere like it's very maximalist and that chaotic yet centering is that all of these different rooms and walls and secret passageways and like <laughs> rooms that are completely full of rope 20 feet tall that you have to climb up through or a, a fireplace that's secretly a fake fireplace and you crawl through and you've entered into a cave that has thousands and thousands of spoons hung from the ceiling like all of these things are are completely covered in artwork they're completely covered in poetry there's sculpture um using um, all of these like definable artistic mediums and formats and then breaking what that definition is pouring them all together and then there's there's this underlying attempt to just participate deeply with the beautiful and difficult things that life offers all of us and put it through the filter of a story so in in the last five years with all these large-scale installations i'll i'll typically go and create some really elaborate yet simple narrative that lives behind all of them and you know I'll, I'll create a fictional language there'll be a lexicon of all these different virtues all these characters origin stories um different displays of those characteristics that they encapsulate and weather patterns in the landscape and i you know i I showed you all these different notebooks that are laid out on my, on my big work table because there are just so many ideas that start at the back end of it. And then it's intended to feel like you have entered into this place that is simultaneously a real physical place that you are entering and you are entering into your own inner life, like your own inner world and 
there's this, again, I just am constantly paraphrasing the words of poets and artists <laughs> that I'm inspired by, like a William Wordsworth idea that by going out into the world, we go into our own inner landscapes. And with these installations, like I, I want people to feel transported. I want them to enter into them and feel like they have just like gone down that rabbit hole and been transported somewhere that is that magic, that is that mystery. They are deeply connected to their own inner lives. And through that revelation of what exists within our own inner lives, you become then aware as like that inhale and exhale aware of all of the people, places, and things that you are connected to in that literal objective world. And then somehow you see the overlapping and overlaying of magic onto all of those things. And it like, again, inhales you back into that inner space and brings you more fully awake and brings you more fully into yourself and artwork as a vessel for that poetry as a vessel for that. There is um, a large sound component in all these different installations. So there'll be a soundtrack or soundscape that um, will be playing, you know, completely string based out of the room. That's completely full of these spiderweb ropes. And then another room that has like these deep low earth sounds as if you're in a cave a million miles underground or the one um, that I have up at the Peabody Essex museum, kind of in the Salem Boston area, I partnered with this, with this sound artist and we created this, this soundscape that has all these different movements. And she works at, at frequency levels that are like medicine and healing for your body. And it tracks with this, this 30 minute film that I made with, with Ryan Shoemaker and a, another dancer. And then there's this large, eight foot in diameter circular bench that you lay down on in this room that's like it's completely illuminated by this large full moon 3d printed full moon that hangs down from the ceiling and then thousands and thousands of poems written with white pencil on black paper with fans hidden secretly all around the ceiling that blow these things so there's a breeze that all circulate around that that full moon and then just these huge water teal dark splashes that make you feel like you have gone below the surface of the sea while simultaneously being in the sky. And all of those waves are then covered with these like <laughs> roving fluid ferns that all pour out of this great blue heron egg <laughs> in the corner. And that sound circular bench, you lay down on it and it's got um, a thing called a transducer speaker on the inside of it and the subwoofer. So the sound just like pours through your whole body and it just, it like it brings people to tears and it resonates literally and metaphorically through all of you. And then you are just completely somewhere else. And I, I like to go into these different installations and just be anonymous and be a fly on the wall and hear what people say and react to. And in that room, in a number of different ways of saying it, I've heard people say, I feel like I don't even know where I am anymore, or I feel like I'm not at the museum anymore or where are we right now? Like all of those statements mm. just really, really, really make me happy. And then, you know, that playfulness, as you referred to, you know, that's like, again, all these different people that I feel like I'm shaped by that, that very much is like the ethos of, of someone like Rumi. And um, in an interview with, with um, Fatima Keshavara and Krista Tippett, I heard Fatima describe Rumi. She's a, a Rumi expert that, Rumi took play very seriously. It was the most serious thing in his life to be playful. 
And for me, it's like thinking of all these different examples. The reason I'm bringing that playfulness up in this context is I want that transportation that people feel to connect to something as basic as a Sesame Street book that is like one of the most foundational things of my art practice, where there's this book, it's, it's like Grover and everything in the whole wide world museum. He goes into every room in the museum. It's cool. And he starts to be daunted of like, oh, I'm going to run out of stuff to see. I'll, I'll be bummed once I've seen everything in the whole wide world. And he gets to the last room in the museum and it's just a door that goes back outside and you then enter in and you have eyes to see like everything is worthy of your attention. Everything is worthy of your curiosity. Every object, every emotion, every experience, every relationship, be it person, place, or stick, or rock, or air, or whatever it is. And that's how I try and treat my installations is just to like deeply capture your attention with your own inner world and the physical world than outside of that that you're connected to. And then to just leave with curiosity and buoyancy and connection and to feel whatever you need to feel, respond to it, react to it, go participate with that God or mystery or presence or universe or whatever you want to call it. Like go hang out with it, <laughs> like, go live with it all the time. And artwork is this vessel and like water fitting to whatever thing it's poured into, it just fits to shape. Mm. and like to me everything everything is artwork everyone is an artist because we're all participating with the world that we're just about to live in and I try and create that as a part of my art practice as well so there's always a like a social practice component working with community centers working with schools working with folks at pop-up workshops you know creating experiences and opportunities that essentially just try and empower people and offer them you know a match that they can strike for themselves to light their world up and, you know, find their own ownership and their own participation with that. And then all of that content is, is the artwork itself. Like the exhibition doesn't start like once we cut the ribbon and open the gallery, it's like, this is the artwork, the conversation that you're having mother and child who showed up kids eating a graham cracker with paint all over their face and mom's trying to keep the two-year-old you know like all of that is the artwork as well the whole life experience is the artwork and then we have these different iterations of of collateral that we you know then offer to the world so it's uh it's really it's so cool diverse so it's many so people cool. involved it's really fun I love it it's such a surprise for me to get to be doing it <laughs> yeah is it like how did you how did you come to understand or how, how did it transpire? Like, did you ever see that this would be what you're doing or, or has it just been, like you said, just very surprising and very unexpected? It's, What's the transformation been like for you as a process from being, you know, an art student to being now yeah. immersed um, in this? It's both. It's, it's a surprise to me. And, you know, in hindsight, I can see, a lot of threads that are pretty logical or I can at least track them. But, you know, the, the earliest thing I can remember wanting to be as, as a little kid was an artist. Um, mm. You know, my mom signed me up for a watercolor class and I can remember really loving that. And I also was an only child growing up in the woods of Northern California with the national forest, literally, directly outside my back door and so like my experience of the world was very much like me out in nature I was given a tremendous amount of freedom um, I have a, a natural 
buoyancy to just kind of go out and be relational with people when I'm hanging out with people, but I also do just fine by myself coming up with my own things to do. Um, and so I had that original dream, but it isn't what fueled my life in any form. I was really interested in science. I was really interested in, you know, being an English teacher or for a long time, I wanted to go and rescue baby birds that were <laughs> in danger of being covered by volca volcanoes <laughs> as oh this gosh. weird thing or a, or a frog scientist, or I want to be a, a park ranger. Um, but then I got into university and had no idea. Again, I was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe science, um, or maybe I'll become like a youth pastor. And then for a long time, I was like, oh, maybe I'll run a summer camp in the woods somewhere. Like I'd gone to this summer camp in high school as like a volunteer in Santa Cruz in the woods. And I was like, that was cool. I felt really connected to that. Mm -hmm. um, but I was undeclared for the first two years of college, but I knew that I really wanted to study abroad. And I had all these ideas of what I would do to study abroad and they were all falling through and time was running out and the deadline was coming up. And literally the only option that was still going to work for me graduating on time and what I could afford and was for me to go to Europe with the art department, um, which was my like last way of doing study abroad. I wanted to go somewhere like Shanghai or Beijing completely by myself and just get swallowed by this place that culturally was out of my understanding at all. I'd never gone out of North America before that. And then my, <laughs> my only option was to go with a whole bunch of people like to Western Europe, which was plan Z. <laughs> but I was like, well, I would rather do this than not study bread at all. And you, you literally had to declare, you had to be an art major to go on this. So I was like, all right, I'm an art major now. Like, let's go. Wow. <laughs> and was willing to go. And I was fortunately, you know, I, I was just really open to whatever the experience was going to have. And it was absolutely transformational. I can remember falling asleep, dreaming about painting and like wandering around the city looking for artwork that I had no idea what artwork even was. I realized there was this moment where we had all these like little sheets that we had to fill out, like describe the artwork. What do you think the artist is trying to say? Blah, blah, blah. And this is pre Google maps. So this is us just wandering around with a paper map and all this artwork was so weird and contemporary and like odd. And I remember we thought that we had found the artwork and we spent like an hour writing about this huge pile of like fishing nets and buoys and trash and these weird sticks and like wrote it up thinking we had found it. And then we walked another two blocks and we found the actual artwork. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I like the trash artwork more than I like this thing, but it's all artwork. It just depends on how you look at it. And I realized that my definition of artwork had been incredibly limited mm -hmm. to like, you know, a, a conception that I'd had handed to me. And then from there, you know, wonderfully and, and naively, I was like, I'm just going to be an artist. That's what I'm going to do as my job. And I say naively just because I didn't know all of the things that go into it. And um, I was dedicated to it. Like I loved it enough and I was scrappy enough and I had, you know, enough working in my favor, you know, including white privilege, including being a male, including all of those things. And also in context to that, like being someone who just has like this natural affinity for asking questions about 
the universe, about the divine, for being playful and enjoying the feeling of that in my body mm -hmm. and, and soul and self and brain and heart and um, like an acute attention for small little things and, and seeing metaphor in things. And I just started to like really dedicate myself to like the actual act of making the stuff um, because I loved it. And that love permeated into the things and the experiences and the relationships with those galleries or pop-ups or whatever it did. And then eventually somebody asked me to do that in museums. And then that, you know, those widening circles then included museums. And it's like, again, it's just like all these different seeds that continue to grow from things that were planted, you know, years back. And I had no idea that I would be like building all these big, crazy, weird things and collaborating with it. But at the same time, it does make sense because my dad has done construction my whole life. So I was always given free reign to scrap wood. He let me use his power tools. I was, you know, lugging weird piles of stuff out into the woods by myself. That's how I remember you in, in college. Yeah. I was like, yeah, Wes is this guy. He's like always hauling wood from places <laughs> and like piles of people's like you know donated things like stacks of magazines and collections of things and that was the yeah, context that, of how I knew I was like, like is so he a he, is he a he homeless person <laughs> or is he a is he a gypsy I don't know exactly what he uh, he's a professional yard sailor is what he <laughs> he's really good at finding uh, stuff yeah there was I did an installation in 2010 this was the first one that I'd done at a museum um where I showed up with like multiple U-Hauls just full of all this random stuff, like completely out of order. It was just jammed in there the way that you would like leave a house if it was on fire kind of packing and just unloaded all this stuff into, into the halls of this museum and the curator and the director and everybody was just like, Oh gosh, we made a mistake asking this like 23 year old hoarder <laughs> to do an installation. But again, in the, in the spirit of transformation, like all that stuff came through and that was like, just, I mean, qualitatively and quantitatively unthinkably successful in, in all the different ways of defining like what is a quote unquote success for a museum would be. And, you know, kind of from there, that was like a gateway or a threshold into all these other spaces. And time and time again, I keep, you know, reworking the thing so it, it feels new to me and I'm doing it in new ways. I'm doing it with new materials. And again, it's just like a vessel for whatever ideas I'm participating with at the time. So the, the ways that I make a thing are entirely different from the way that I did in 2010. The ideas are, you know, transformed and expanded from what they are. And it's as like as real as I can be with the thing. It's, you know, it's to take that phrase about writing, like you can only write about what you know. And it's, it's, you know, in the Mary Oliver sense, like the things that are most personal or the most universal, like it is mm -hmm. deeply personal to me. It is like my inner world embodied and manifested then into a gallery space or into an installation. And it's an offering too. it like, it belongs to whoever comes in and participates with it. And very much in a postmodern way, it's like the artist statement of what you're supposed to get out of it doesn't really mean a whole lot to me because you make your own meaning from it and it's non-linear. There's no right or wrong place to start. Um, I want it to be the way that you would have a conversation with someone 
where if you sit down to a, a cup of coffee or a meal and that person you know, talks about the weather, you're probably going to talk about the weather back, but then they might say something about their family. You'll say something about your family back. And like you sort of match in your depth as you go down and down and down into that well, offering mm. more and more vulnerability and connection until eventually like you are just resonating on these deep levels and the installation has its own presence. And it like you walk in there and it's like, here's everything like just authenticity and vulnerability and transparency and participation with all these things that I am really curious about. And you're kind of left with this question of like, are you going to match in the depth or are you going to keep talking about the weather? And it's an invitation to people and I don't have to be there to explain it to anybody. I don't have to give an artist statement. A lot of times I don't even include an artist statement and you're just left in in the same way that we're all left to explore the world nobody explains it to you and the point of the game is just to figure out what the point of the game is and then just to play like it's all a game (laughs) just to play (laughs) yeah i always wondered i mean i i don't necessarily use the term artist to describe myself although i don't Mm -hmm. i don't want to limit myself to not using that term Mm -hmm. but as a yoga teacher and as a, a movement a teacher of a movement, someone who uh-huh. tries to help other people navigate, you know, using their bodies and connecting to their bodies and experiencing life through their bodies. Yeah. It's also deeply vulnerable or there's, there's so much authenticity that I feel like I do bring to my class experiences or anything yeah. that I'm sharing. And I always wondered from you as well, like how, how do you reconcile, you know, if, if you are there to happen to see someone experiencing your exhibit or if you're, mm-hmm. if you're hearing about it even post haste, like, you know, for the people that don't get it, for the people that don't match the depth level, for the people mm-hmm. that come into my yoga class and, you know, they get their ab workout and they get a little peace of mind and then they, they leave. Maybe there's no extra or actual magic that happens for them. Mm -hmm. It's it's really hard for me to not attach myself to like their outcome. Yes, it's hard for me to not want to help them go deeper. And so, for you as an artist, especially because your art is so public and it's so involved and it's so participatory in nature how do you deal with that on a personal level? Like, do you have to detach yourself or do you just let yourself go into those, those doubts maybe that people are getting what Mm -hmm. you're trying to put out there? So that's a, a question that I feel like I actually don't address very much. Like what do I do if somebody isn't connecting in the way that I would hope for them to connect? Or do I take it personally if somebody isn't like getting the, getting the magic? I think I used to participate with that a lot more um, when I was like trying to, I guess, hear what people thought about it. And I love to have conversations about it and I love to hear people's insights and I get to have that really regularly. And I think that I have like come to terms with the parts that if I offer something, somebody doesn't have to accept that if they don't resonate with it, if they don't feel like they connect with it, I have done my due diligence to offer a thing that I deeply believe in. 
but that thing isn't going to be for everyone. And that's, you know, that's the case with anything anybody ever makes. And that context of me not taking things personally kind of came at the same time that I started to think about the artwork, not as like these individual little islands of projects, but as like one larger life practice, you know, Mm -hmm. think of that practice as your, as your yoga practice or as like whatever you, whatever you practice, Um, like each of your individual classes or sessions that you do yoga in as a teacher, as a facilitator, of course, isn't isolated and you have an experience of that class and you have different feelings and sensations. But if one goes like in a, in a direction that you weren't expecting, like you don't throw out the whole practice. And so I think a lot, oftentimes people, myself included, thought of like an installation as it's up and then you have to tear it down. People would always ask, is it really hard for you to tear these things down when the project is just gone forever then? And again, to put it in that metaphor of water, like it's just one big ocean and this is just like a wave that crests up and it does what it does and then it goes back down and it's this this larger thing. And I think having that zoomed out perspective for me of all of this fits into like this greater context and that, you know, that was a growth process to look at like those education components and those social practice components because even, you know, as of just like two years ago, like they were distinctly different bodies that coexisted and I I was like if I'm going to keep doing this I need to find a way for them to be again like expanding these these Rilke I live my life in widening circles that reach your God across the world sort of mentality tree rings like throw a stone into a pond like I need to keep expanding with that and now to me they are they are that same practice and all the things that feel incongruent in my life like I want them to fit into that larger whole and I think just from that standpoint of like, I'm, I'm someone who's, who's buoyant, who's connective, who is prone, thankfully, to joy and sharing that. I was also in the place where I wanted people to feel that same joy. And so there was a point in time when it was hard for me if somebody was just like, oh, I, don't, I don't get it. But I think I just was able to be in a spot where I, Realize that my own joy shouldn't be contingent on the joy of somebody else. My own connection to my deepest, truest, undamageable self shouldn't be contingent on these things. And, you know, to even zoom out further, when I moved to Colorado, I left my whole, you know, like professional network of all the people that normally would ask me to do an art show. And I was like, all right, like that was fun when I got to be an artist in my twenties, but now it's time to go be a, whatever I got to do to make money. And, you know, I started to substitute teach. I was looking at maybe working at like this, being a barista. I was like selling stuff on Craigslist. I'm doing whatever I can do to make some coins and had an identity check in that. And then with all of this stuff, all the things that I've gone through that, you know, have shaken the foundations of, of who or what I think of as myself. Like, I don't want to ever be in a context where I think that my identity is tied to being an artist mm-hmm. or, you know, you as a yoga teacher or like whatever you happen to like really connect with and love, like that isn't who you are and it's in its fullness. And so like, I, I'm an artist, you know, quote unquote, 
by trade, by vocation, by calling right now. But at the same time, I might be called to be something else. Or what happens if I have something physically happen to me that I can't make all of these things? Or what happens if I have something that contextually in my life like stops that cold and I have to shift? Like I'm not any less of myself if I have to switch. Like what if I have to just completely pivot or have something tragically shake the whole life in which I think that I know myself? Like I think that it's like a really beautiful thing to do what you're doing as you're doing it. But if it shifts and change and moves and turns into fog or dust or mist that leaves, like that's just what it is. And again, like this is back to stuff I was reading this morning. Like the only way to know what your life is, is to like have made peace with death and, you know, Mm -hmm. death being a synonym for pain and suffering and confusion and the unknown. And not to like, say that I think about that stuff all the time, but I feel like I try and be as aware of those dualities often. Like I'm a very joyful person and I feel like I am very regularly like, you know, having tea with the things that scare me and I'm having a a meal of rice and beans here in my studio with the confusion and the heart ache of the world right now. And to, to live with all of that stuff allows me as best as I can in the context in which I'm living to not like take myself so seriously, to see the game and all of it, to see the playfulness, all of it. And that play, you know, I feel like I keep coming back to this and learning more that playfulness isn't elementary school playground unawareness, like playfulness in its deepest form is the universe saying, here's all of it, step in and play. Like, you're an artist today, play the artist. You are Wes today, like, be Wes as, as well as you can be. Some days you're a son, some days you're a friend, some days you're a friend who forgot to call your other friend back. Some days, like, you are, you are playing all these different things, all these different hats. And, like, the awareness of that game allows you to play those games better and allows you to, like, put that hat down. And you never know when you might take a hat off and never put it back on again. (laughs) Yeah. My, my teacher always says life is meant to be lived fully involved. And Mm -hmm. that is his equivalent of, I think that state of play is Mm -hmm. you can't be playing a game. Like you can't play soccer if you're kind of not playing soccer. Yeah. You know, like you're either in you're hundred percent in or you're not playing. Mm-hmm. And that's that state of mind that I think you're getting to is wherever you are, there you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as long as you're bringing your whole self, which doesn't, which doesn't change, no matter if the environment changes, your whole self is involved. Like mm-hmm. it's going to be a full, full bodied experience. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's great wisdom in that Wes about, I've even, I've even considered, you know, well, what if I just choose not to teach you know mm-hmm. this format anymore i've been thinking about becoming a yoga teacher I'm right great place you would be a great yoga teacher you are a great yoga teacher um yeah like i don't think we have to be limited by the methods that we express ourselves mm-hmm. because our identity is so much more than that so there's again like so many of 
the ideas that I get really excited about are just ideas that I've heard somebody else talk about. So many of the ideas I feel like I get excited about happen in the conversation with Krista Tippett and somebody else. <laughs> but she was having a conversation with, I think, John O'Donohue, and they were referring to this um, 14th century German mystic, um, Meister Eckhart, that there is a part of you that no word or action from a human being or anything else can damage or take away from you. And there's Mm -hmm. a wholeness that exists within everyone that cannot be diminished or damaged by any life circumstance and to live from that place and to remember that place and to visit that place is an intention of mine. It's an intention to be able to offer that, that remembering prompt to other people and to try and live from that. And of course it's really easy to forget about it or forget what that feeling is and to have to find it new again and to find that in whatever context you happen to be living in, regardless of like what your, your life circumstances are from your work to your family, to your relationships, to your monetary situation, to whatever that is. Yeah. And gosh, everything else in the world is like always repeating itself and changing simultaneously. And I think that we forget that we like live in a lot of these same patterns sometimes. Wonderful. Yeah. So. yeah. I think in the context again of this quarantine and mm-hmm. this global pandemic that we're experiencing, that's, that's been my actual experience. It's the, the, the way that I experience every moment changes, you know, it mm-hmm. could be really yeah. positive, could be really negative and it could be almost sometimes in the same yeah. I find positivity in the things that I'm getting frustrated by the most and vice yeah. versa. Yeah. And I think that's just really beautiful, like to put this whole conversation back into context of mm-hmm. what do we do with what we're given and, and transformation yeah. is possible at any time. And so mm-hmm. there are so many resources available to us, especially now and we're mm-hmm. still and at home yeah. to dive in, you know, to yeah. dive in and to just explore and to express and to be okay with how it all turns out or doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating hearing you describe it in that. I appreciate you coming back to, to book in the conversation with that. Cause it's like great or small, everyone in, literally in the world will be affected by this and is being affected now. Like I have, I have people that I knew personally that I saw, you know, at the beginning of March that have passed away. I know people that are currently Mm. sick, like, and I know people that are doing really well and have gotten better. And, you know, I have been able to be healthy in this. I have people in my life that I'm really close with that are immune compromised that I'm really scared of them getting it. Mm. And that exists simultaneously with the things that are bright and joyful and the, you know, like I'm building a greenhouse and I have all this stuff growing like that exists in the same space. And I'm thinking about, you know, maybe that friend that I knew that passed away as I'm like watering the beans, like, like in embodied forms of this moment. And like the world is having a paradigm shift right now. We don't know what that's going to look like. And like that context has brought me into like this full participation with quiet and darkness mm. as, as companions that are, I can't ignore them. Like the first week especially was so 
loud with noise that I was making with my own thoughts with like what I've come to describe as like an internet dizziness. And then was kind of just like riding this emotional low while trying to maintain the buoyancy of that in the second week. And then by circumstances, literally the morning that I had to cut off my live streams, I found this wooden crate in my studio that I'd flipped over and it, it had this like scrawled poem that I wrote in the dark, like last year about detours, like your life will be full of detours, take them when they come. Mm. And I had like a detour from the detour from the detour. And again, it was like, how am I going to show up to my life right now? And I've had to like come to terms and make peace with these quiet places and with like all of these things that normally I seek out by choice. I seek quiet or I seek solitude when I choose it. And then when I'm done with it, I go back and have dinner with my friends or I go back to my family or I go back and have a social quality. But it's like when choice is taken away, mystery and solitude and silence as the gateway into the divine, like it has a different feel to it. But I'm finding all these things that I would have never uncovered if I hadn't just showed up to circumstance. And I feel Mm. like I'm tapping into this. Honestly, like, again, to bookend it with magic, I had this this experience the other day where there's kind of been this, this muse that I have been like trying to keep company with and like continue to host and say like, don't leave. Like I'm still, I'm still making this thing with you for like six years. Mm. And it's it like all of a sudden popped up in my brain, like, and then this muse shows up and I'm like in this, I have this character. I won't describe it because it's too long of a story. I have this character that I take on in these moments and I'm like, in costume, it's going to sound like I'm walking Phoenix or something, in the dark, in this costume, dancing, like, the, I call it the teal muse, and I, I like, like, literally had this stone that I had been carrying around, this little teal stone, and then in this moment, I was like, I feel burdened to have to physically carry this, but I always want it here, and I've been writing mm. these little poem formats of, like, somewhere in the world, there is a a child reaching for the hand of a parent somewhere in the world. Someone is feeling great despair somewhere in my own body. There is that space of wholeness. And then I wrote somewhere in my body, there's a, a teal muse represented as a stone. And I was like, I need to swallow this stone. And so I like, as I'm like dancing around, I have this stone and I just like swallow this stone and it's become like this kind of unusual comfort as it's been in my body for about a week now that like that poem has come true that somewhere in my body there exists this teal stone and that, you know, then that stone is this, is this poetic vessel for all these other things, like all of the context and all of like the backstory for that. And, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how the universe works. I don't know how any of this works, but I am open to all of it. And I don't know what prayer is, but to me that felt like a prayer. And then I have like all, I opened up all those notebooks the following week. And I am open to any of it. And that exists within the context of the world's heart being broken open like we haven't seen before. Just so much suffering, so much pain. New York started to open up mass graves for burying people in pine coffins this week. And I'm reading that news while I'm also working on this project. It's like, it's Easter Sunday. And it's like, it's everything all at once. It is like, here's a here's a Rilke poem that sums up the whole thing. I should have just gone straight to this and we could have like done the poem and then we get up. <laughs> I'm going to probably butcher the poem, but essentially it goes, beauty and terror, 
no feeling is final, just keep going. And it's like all of that, no feeling is final. Like whatever you're feeling in the moment, like there will be another feeling. You will feel beauty, you will feel terror, sometimes distinctly, sometimes simultaneously. Just keep going. Like the only thing you can do is, is play that game of soccer, to be here with it, participate with it, be in that moment of worship and wonder and shavasana and stretching and pain and womb and tomb and trauma and healing and light and dark and silence and internet dizziness. Because you're going to find another feeling just after that one. I, I am so acutely aware of that in this weird as hell moment. And I feel really fortunate to be so aware of it. I cry on average three to four times <laughs> a day in this thing right now. And it's like, you just got to show up. And I'm like, all right, hello. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah. Here, how's it going? Heartbreak. How's it going? Heartache. And I, I wrote this line that was like, I am simultaneously experiencing like the greatest loss and the greatest liberation I've ever felt at the same time. And I think that is like such a weird expression to have. And there's like so much liberation and change and transformation and paradigm shifting that's happening now, but damn, it hurts. And yeah. that new life only comes through something else leaving. I don't know. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Happy Easter, brother. Well, I'm reaching out to you, like, physically yeah. and energetically. Um, thank you for sharing your gifts and your learnings and your muse. Yeah. And for sharing this space with me so delicately. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. It's been wonderful to yeah. reconnect. Thank you, Britta. I'm going to take you now that we've been on the conversation long enough for the room to change. The sunlight has come in. You can see all the sunlight it's touching beautiful. all these little plants. And I appreciate all of the good energy that you've sent because like that's, that's now part of their little plant growth for today was the good energy that Britta sent them. <laughs> oh, I hope they, it, I hope they, they continue to fortify and you yeah, as well. Like I yeah. hope that you continue to feel fortitude in all of the full spectrum of mm -hmm. experience that you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. Same for you, Britta. You're doing beautiful things out there. And thanks for letting me jump in and be a collaborator with you. Always. Always. Yeah. The invitation yeah. is there. Always. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So much love to you, Britta. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe and leave me a review if possible on iTunes or whatever platform that you use to listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow me online at brittarayel.com or on Instagram at brittarayel for other upcoming events and classes that I offer. And I hope that you stay tuned for more here at Rayel Talk. Thanks again. <laughs>